Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. It's Friday, June 3rd, about 8.30 in the morning, Washington time. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Time to gather around the round table for today's round table with three top political reporters to look back on the big news from our nation's capital. By the way, on June 3rd, First Lady's birthday. And today, even with Congress out of town, there was still a lot going on this week in the wake of his visits to the sites of two mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. President Biden addressed the nation from the White House last night delivering an impassioned plea for Congress to act on a ban on assault rifles, raising the legal age to purchase an assault weapon, and authorizing so-called red flag laws. But will this time be any different? On another front, we saw something almost never seen before in Washington this week. A member of the Biden administration, actually more than one, admitting that they were wrong in thinking inflation was only transitory. It's still here. Consumers are still hurting. How serious is it? And meanwhile, members of Congress are out working on the only thing they really care about, getting reelected. With five months to go before the midterms, where do things stand for Republicans and Democrats? Well, here today to help us sort it all out, Jason Dick, a newly appointed editor-in-chief of CQ Roll Call, Welcome, Jason, and congratulations. Thank you, Bill. Sudeep Reddy, a managing editor of Politico, back again. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. And joining us from Yahoo News, national political reporter, Tom Lobianco. Hey, Tom, good to have you back as well. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So we heard the president in a very impassioned speech from the White House last night. Here he is saying after Columbine and all these other mass shootings, enough is enough is enough. After Columbine, after Sandy Hook, after Charleston, after Orlando, after Las Vegas, after Parkland, nothing has been done. This time that can't be true. This time we must actually do something. This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about protecting our freedoms to go to school, to a grocery store, to a church without being shot and killed. So, Jason, will it make any difference? Um, I'm, I'm skeptical ab- about that, and, and not, um, I'm not trying to minimize the impact that you know, this has had on people's lives or the passions involved or the president's sincerity. It's just that a primetime presidential address, as rare as those are, are you know, has, I, I think, less of, of an effect um, than, than it did you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and, you know, th- this is certainly of 
premier importance in political circles and in people's lives. I mean, we've been talking about gun control and, and these tragedies now, just one kind of keeps coming after another. This, this week we had another one in Tulsa where four people were killed at a hospital because somebody was uh, uh, pissed off about being in pain after surgery. Uh, so I, I don't know if the normalization of this kind of violence can, can, you know, be dented by just simply, um, you know, some people feeling that they need to talk about it, uh, like, like, like Biden. I mean, the, and where, whether we have action on it in Congress, uh, is, is always faces steep odds, but I mean, there are some sincere attempts, but I just don't, I mean, sadly, I don't see this having like a huge, uh, impact, at least like having a speech on Thursday night. Well, Sudeep, how does the president's, uh, call last night for, um, pretty bold measures banning an assault, uh, banning assault weapons, which of course he authored when he was uh, in the Senate, uh, and other pretty bold measures. How does that square with what we hear that senators from both parties are working on, which seem to be more in the doable category, right? Not swinging for the fences. The big difference here is in the do something camp that a lot of senators are are, are looking at right now, rather than the the Biden plan, which uh, we should remind you was actually something he did pledge to do on day one, uh, mm-hmm. a big gun uh, gun package, and uh, day one has long passed. Um, but what we're talking about from this bipartisan group in the Senate is 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 really just to to say that they've done something to to perhaps touch a little bit on some of the what they call the the common sense measures. When you see uh, the the senior senator from Texas, John Cornyn, talking about um, perhaps even getting something done, you do think, okay, well, maybe it's possible they'll pass something for for good measure just to say they've done something, but it's not banning assault rifles or high capacity magazines like a lot of people are asking for right now. Is there the chance uh, you're, from your read that even a modest, doable, non-controversial measure could get uh, 10 votes so they can get over the filibuster? I, I think it's possible that something small and non-controversial can get 10 votes. Uh, uh, the more non-controversial and smaller, the more likely it is, of course. Uh, and that that seems to be where this is headed uh, in this moment. And um, the, look, the fact that we've we've gone through in the last decade uh, Newtown, Connecticut, San Bernardino, Orlando, uh, Vegas, Parkland. I, I can just go on and on and on. And we, we always thought, well, maybe this will change something. They didn't change anything. And uh, it seems unlikely that this is going to, to change anything on a large scale. Well, on that point, Tom, uh, the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, uh, began, beginning of the week said, uh, you know, I hope we can come together and get something done. And then a couple of days later, uh, here he is talking about what he sees as the top priorities, the main issues that the uh, Senate ought to be dealing with. seems to me there are two broad categories that underscore the problem, mental illness and school safety. So hopefully we can find a way to come together and make some progress on this horrendous problem, consistent with our Constitution and with our values. All right. So... So, Tom, Mr. McConnell say, well, the issues are uh, mental health and school safety. Doesn't talk about doing anything about the guns. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, pretty typical of every previous gun debate we have. 
you know, the cyclical, right? You know, the Republicans say that precisely that, um, you know, school safety and, um, and mental health and Democrats say, you know, gun measures, the things dealing with the, the actual manufacture, distribution, um, control and regulation of the, the weapons. And, you know, I mean, the thing that I look at, that, you know, this kind of goes back to, um, you know, why is Biden doing this at the White House? Why is he kind of leaning into this? And whether or not anything will change this time, right? And that's kind of the, the question we all have is like, you know, will there be anything, even at, at the, the most marginal of changes? And, you know, in the moment right now, there seems to be a, quote, stickiness of this issue in a way that other, I mean, take 22, the year 2022, all right? Take a disaster, you know, the Ukraine war. Uh, you know, wherever you stand on the abortion decision, that's you know going to be come to, coming down soon. You know, wherever you stand on inflation and gas prices, and again the, the price of a gallon of milk, um, those nothing seems to be ever present because there's always a new disaster. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. thing that you know, the things I'm asking you know, my sources on this is, you know, is this something that sticks? You know, or is or do we find another disaster that pops up next week? And what are they telling you? For, well, for the Democrats in particular, hopeful optimism that this is the this is the one that finally breaks the dam on doing something. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hesitant, I, I guess I should say, um, optimism. Um, and you know, for the Republicans, it's that you know, it's inflation, money, economic woes still dominate, and they and they have not been shaken. Um, uh, from that uh, from that perch, um, and it right. probably will dominate. So, uh, you know, if for the Democrats, it seems like maybe they finally have found an issue. You know, the, I know I know from my Democrat campaign sources that they've been looking for an issue to run on in the midterm. Right. So, ever. Let, uh, yeah, let me let me jump in here to say I want to I want to come back to each of you to talk about the impact that this issue and some of the other issues may, might have on the midterms. Uh, so hold the rest of your thoughts on that for just a moment, uh, because I want to ask you also about something that uh, this is kind of breaking news. Uh, I didn't learn about this until this morning. But last evening, the January 6th committee announced that next Thursday, June 9, at 8 p.m. in the evening, which is unusual in itself, uh, the committee is going to hold its first public hearing where they are going to present to the American people the summary of everything that they have found out so far in all of their thousands of interviews and thousands and thousands of documents that they reviewed about what happened on January 6th, what led up to it, and who was responsible. Uh, Jason, this could be a real bombshell, right? I mean, it it certainly has the potential, uh, depending on what they reveal, but I'm I mean, I'm I'm a little cautious in in describing it as as game changing because, I mean, we all thought that when a, a mob spurred by Donald Trump was sicked on the Capitol and they broke windows and and tried to kill police officers, that that was a game changer in itself. And I mean, I I just I feel like the there there is as as t- sort of Tom was alluding to, there's just this like you know there's one disaster after another. It's hard to keep up with <laughs> yeah, with them, right? And, and I, I think that, you know, the, the committee has done, you know, just an incredible amount of work and interviews and, 
and the the amount of of information that they've turned up to hold people accountable for what happened on January sixth is is immense and a sort of a testament to you know like sort of following the trail wherever it goes. But I don't know if it changes the narrative because again, people are sort of in their silos. I mean, we, we have more than three television channels uh, to, to tune into on, on Thursday night at 8 PM. And I think, I don't, I don't know how many people are going to, you know, not watch Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney <laughs> plus uh, in order to tune into the January 6th committee. Uh, Sadiq, is it possible as horrific as it was the coup on January, attempted coup on January 6th, is it possible that um, kind of the steam has gone out of the engine, meaning people have kind of lost an interest? The the people who you would want to maintain an interest have probably lost interest in this. They see it as, as the past is, as old news. The, the, there has not been another attempt at the Capitol. So uh, the people who looked at it and shrugged um, are like that. There are obviously people who do care about this, who are going to continue, who are going to maintain some interest and the the benefit uh, for for the committee of doing this uh, in this moment is to to I guess put a, a bit of a bow on their work to connect the dots to show how uh, profoundly damaging this moment was um, that could stick it could last in in the narrative I'm sure we will see it in uh in the next uh five months over the campaign season but is it going to really change anybody's mind at their core of course not right uh and tom i think the big outstanding question is are they going to go after donald trump himself yeah that's what a do huge, we know yeah i mean you know from what we've seen so far and um you know huge shout out to among among other folks, man, you know, Kyle Cheney at, um, at Politico has been an absolute beast on this beat. And, you know, I'm sure love, if you're listening to this, you probably already follow him, but he's been incredible. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's hard to tell. They seem to be, and I don't want to, you know, we're working on our own piece right now, so I don't want <laughs> to like blow up a, right. you know, our own scene setter for, uh, for the committee next week. But um you know, they seem to have learned some lessons um, from these previous Trump investigations. Um, you know, what we're hearing about, like, you know, kind of the limitations of bringing in the witnesses, not, you know, not letting them, you know, not having Corey Lewandowski sit in front of you, you know, firing off the Fifth Amendment for, you know, eight hours mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, make a make a cable news spectacle out of it. So, you know, perhaps more control. But again, you know, you almost wonder, and again, to what, to what Jason was saying. You, you almost wonder you know, how much of this is about moving the needle on um, on 2022 and 2024 versus, well, you know, how much do you need? You need a historical record. I mean, we can't, you know, this Washington in this moment was unable to produce a 9-11 style commission. Um, it, it just, it's just impossible at this moment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how much of this is historical versus the immediate? And that's, and I get the sense there's more of a, more of a historical thinking behind it too. Right. Well, uh, speaking of history, I thought history was made this week. Um, all of us have been covering Washington or national politics for a long time. Um, I never remember a leading member of any administration making the admission that we heard from Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, this week in an interview with CNN's Wolf Blitzer, 
on the issue of inflation. I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. There have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have affected our economy badly that I didn't, at the time didn't fully understand. Uh, so I guess we're not going to hear that, but we all know Janet Yellen said, right, that she got it wrong. She thought it was going to be transitory, and it turned out not to be. Uh, Jason, how about it, right? I, did, you never heard Donald Trump say I was wrong. <laughs> that, that, is, that is correct. Um, and, and, you know, th- this is, I think, sort of laudable, and, and you wonder why more people don't do it, <laughs> uh, be, because... <laughs> In general, I mean, everybody seems to have a a fairly firm grasp that gas is more expensive, that baby formula is hard to get. That I mean, that there are problems with the supply chain, uh, and and for for somebody in the, in the administration to to acknowledge reality and then and then also say like, and we had a part in this, and we're going to try to fix it and do better. I mean, it is um, it it is sort of admirable on a sort of a personal and moral level. On a political level, I don't know how how that uh, translates, but the 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 administration isn't working with um with, with a lot here. I mean, there's only so much that they can do. I mean, the president himself has basically said to the, to the Fed and Jerome Powell, "This is this is up to you, buddy, to to keep uh, track of." So, um, you know, whether that overcomes people enough people's concerns or it is just sort of an acknowledgement. Uh, I, I don't know, but it, it seems like Yellen is just sort of, uh, again, kind of stating the obvious, which doesn't happen all that often in, in politics, particularly when you're talking about your own role in something that went wrong. Yeah. So, but Sudeep, how serious a problem, a political problem, is this for Democrats? It is a profound political problem. This is this is the, the economy question that uh, obviously sinks uh, parties in in normal times, the this is a, a and it's just a very unusual moment to have uh, high inflation, but to also have a, a hot job market. The latest numbers we got out yeah. uh, this morning show just continued uh, strength in in the hiring uh, uh, on the hiring front. Uh, Three hundred ninety thousand jobs or so uh, added. It's just a, a, a unusual period when you you got unemployment. Uh, this low at three point six percent to have the 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 Fed and the Treasury get out there saying, yeah, everything is actually reasonably strong, but we know it's going to get worse. Uh, to have to signal that um, and to have to tell people that inflation might come down, but it's probably not going to come down fast enough. The old transitory line, um, it, it's it's signaling something that ahead is a problem. And you're already starting to see the signs of caution in the corporate world. You're starting to see uh, budgets get pulled back. All of that is actually, if you think it's a problem now for Democrats, in three months from now, it's going to be all about the economy and the troubles of the economy. That is not a good place to be. The only saving grace is that it, if it happens now, uh, it, it means that it's possible we'll be out of the downturn um, before the the presidential cycle fully heats up, um, because uh, there's there's probably nothing more devastating than the party uh, having to deal with high inflation and a weak economy in a presidential race. Right. Uh, so, Tom, as Sadiq mentions, um, the economy overall is relatively strong, very low unemployment, hot job market, uh, consumer spending. Last month, says the last few months has actually gone up, but 
people are facing very high gas prices and very high food prices. Uh, so what can the president actually do about that? Isn't that the, the conundrum here? For the yeah, White House, it, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I mean, for the for the White House, right? So it's kind of same thing he's trying to do with gun control, right? Which is, you know, shine a light on it, put you know, put the uh, put the spotlight on it, and maybe keep it there. I mean, it's you know, it's uncertain. Like, you know, can they really do anything here? To you know, cert- I mean, he's flying to Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, he's, he's going to meet with uh, with uh, uh, Bin Salman, and um, and you know, and that sparked a backlash from the nine eleven families. And, you know, so he's trying to he's trying to work on this. You know, one thing to to go back to like this, you know, why this is resonating. Um, Pence's people had a um, have been doing have been working on this behind the scenes. The, uh, they've been polling this issue. And um, and, you know, he um, <laughs> Pence had this, tweeted a photo of himself at, outside a marathon gas station paying like I was like fifty five dollars <laughs> for a tank, gas tank. You know, it's like. And, you know, he had the furrowed brow and the, you know, the very stern look, the serious Pence, which is, you know, kind of the only mode um, for him. And, <laughs> um, and <laughs> kind of like, but the, th- but the thing of it is, which is, and I think this is what his pollsters were getting at and why they're leaning into this. And, you know, why we see this disconnect with, you know, Sudeep says, you know, it's like with, you know, strong employment numbers, you know, other barometers being strong you know voters regular people are not economists they don't listen to janet yellen and you know like it's like they're not dialed into this stuff they got other stuff going on you know and to a degree too the to really to a big degree um regular people are kind of tuning out politics you know after five years of the constancy of the of, of trump and the, you know each new hand grenade tossed out there whether it's stormy daniels or trump brush over i mean you name it it's kind of people are kind of retreating from the reality show of politics. And um, but this is something when you go to the gas, I went to the gas pump and I put 17 gallons in and I paid like eighty five dollars. I was I was astounded. I took a photo. <laughs> I didn't tweet it, but I was like, whoa, OK, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So like there's we a are. permanency to it. And that's, yeah. you know, to the politics. Right. It resonates. We all have those stories. I paid $5.09 a gallon uh, last week in Northern Virginia and was not was not happy about it. All right. Uh, we have edged around and uh, uh, the primaries and the impact uh, inflation and guns and abortion will have on the midterm elections. Uh, let's jump into that with uh, our panel. Uh, but after a quick break, we'll be back with uh, Jason Dick from Roll Call, Sudeep Reddy from Politico, Tom Lobianco from Yahoo News here on the Bill Press Pod. And today's roundtable is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A. Over half a million strong, the Laborers Union, they're the backbone of the American labor movement under President Terry O'Sullivan, uh, active in the construction field, of course, rebuilding America's infrastructure, in the energy field uh, with renewable energy, solar panels and wind turbines, as well as old-fashioned pipelines, and very active in the healthcare field as well with government workers around the country. We salute the good members, men and women of the Laborers Union, thank them for their great work rebuilding America, and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. (laughs) 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with today's roundtable. Joining us, Tom LoBianco, Yahoo News, Deep Ready Politico, and Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call. We are about five months out now from the primaries. A major Republican primaries have been held. We sort of see now, uh, with the exception of a couple of states like Michigan, who the major players are going to be uh, heading into uh, November. Uh, five months out, Jason, where do things stand for Republicans and Democrats in general, as you see it? Uh, in, in general, um, if, if I was uh, a political strategist or somebody who made my living, uh, depending on who was going to be in the majority, I would rather be a Republican right now. Um, I mean, the, the both House and Senate. Uh, I, so, I mean, certainly the House is a little bit more baked in, uh, particularly because of, uh, of redistricting has given like a little bit of advantage. We, we thought it was going to be an even draw, uh, you know, it, with, uh, with Democrats and Republicans and, and some court cases that were handed down, some maps that were thrown out uh, have, have kind of moved the needle a little bit back towards uh, Republicans in places like New York and Florida. Um, and, and again, when you only have a five seat um, you know, majority, uh, it, it doesn't take a whole lot. And then you've got the history angle of the, the president's party uh, almost always losing a significant mm-hmm. number of seats in his first right, midterm. Right. The Senate is, I mean, I, I know that a lot of my colleagues, uh, you know, people like Nathan Gonzalez at Inside Elections, and and the folks at the Cook Report, like Dave Wasserman, and so forth. I mean, like they they they're a little bit they they see some of the same trends, you know, in in the Senate. I I always hesitate because I think back on 2018, um, you know, where, where Democrats had this huge night uh, that was really tied a lot towards public opinion toward Donald Trump. Uh, picked up, you know, more than 40 seats, the the majority, and then they lost two seats in the Senate. <laughs> uh, you know, so so right. it, it was, uh, it, it defied some historical trends, but it also spoke to like the way people have spread themselves out politically. 
I think that, you know, it really comes down to a, just a, a few of those states. I mean, when in a 50-50 Senate, that's that's obvious. But, uh, you know, you look at Georgia where, you know, we have a toss-up race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Well, I mean, Warnock's got to feel a little better uh, about uh, his, his chances after just listening to Herschel Walker talk uh, <laughs> like, in, the, in the last week since he wrapped up the nomination. Uh, in Arizona, you know, Mark Kelly, a Democrat, is also in a top toss-up race. And um, you know, he's got the, he's running against this sort of clown car uh, full of Republicans, you know, where it's it's not exactly clear who's going to come out on top. Donald Trump weighed in on one of them, Blake Masters, and uh, the, just recently. And it, it's unclear to me. I mean, certainly the the way that the president's numbers are underwater uh, doesn't help a Democrat. But then that's offset by things like Pennsylvania, where, you know, John Fetterman probably has a pretty good good shot at flipping a Republican seat whom he doesn't even know who's going to run against <laughs> at this point. So it's, I, I, I hesitate on making any kind of predictions on the Senate uh, because I think it could go a, a lot of different ways. The House, I just think, is more likely than not a lost cause for, for Democrats at this point. Yeah. How do you see the landscape, Sudeep? You know, it, it uh, historically, uh, this is this is not going to be a good year for Democrats. We've known that for a while, but it is just such a scrambled moment um, in all sorts of other ways. The the mixed signals on the economy, the strong job market, and the awful inflation, but so many other issues too that you think will go a certain way, and people don't uh, don't quite have a a perfect handle on that. There was a uh, I think just in the the last week. Uh, the the publisher of, of the Bulwark, uh, Sarah Longwell, uh, uh, tweeted out that she had, she was doing a uh, a focus group of Trump voters in Florida, and she said that everybody was in favor of uh, over twenty one laws to obtain a gun. She said that everyone is in favor of banning assault rifles. It is possible that all of the cross currents that we've got right now could uh, could lead people to to think about different kinds of issues than. Uh, than just Joe Biden in this moment. There, there's so many things weighing on the American psyche that it, it, it could be that people look at the January 6th committee and, and, and decide that, particularly swing voters, decide that, that, you know, maybe I'm not actually happy with what the alternative is uh, to Democrats right now. And, and that's where you can get some of those, those uh, unusual uh, outcomes like the, the House flipping and the Senate not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, t- t- Tom, you alluded to a couple of these uh, earlier factors that could weigh in and maybe change the equation. President Biden last night in his address to the nation uh, certainly hinted at that as well when he talked about the American people uh, being so angry uh, about no action on gun control that they would reflect that in their votes this November here quickly is the president. If Congress failed, I believe this time a majority of the American people won't give up either. I believe the majority of you will act to turn your outrage into making this issue central to your vote. Enough, enough, enough. Uh, so, Tom, guns and then also the issue of abortion. Could they be two issues that um, drive Democratic turnout and change the equation a little bit? Yeah, you know, the, the thing with the guns in particular, and, you know, it kind of reminds me of um, 
you know, like we used to talk about Panera moms as, you know, swing voters, you know, previous cycles and, you know, go back right. a few decades and you talk about soccer moms and, you know, you do get a sense from both sides that they're like, okay, we need to play to the suburbs. We need to play to the swing voters who, you know, when you have these hardened extremes and, you know, on each side of the party, I mean, ironically enough, it kind of leads you back to where traditional politics is, right. Which is a, you know, a pivot to the middle. Um, you know, so, you know, make it, make it through the primary, go back to the general, um, you know, and, and be a, broadly acceptable. And, you, and you've actually, you know, ironically enough, you've seen that with uh, Dr. Oz, who, you know, who seems to be trying to kind of walk past this, this recount that's, that's uh, inevitable out there in Pennsylvania. And, you know, for in, in that regard, guns in particular and abortion too, but, you know, the, the kind of the immediacy and the constancy of guns there's a very raw emotional um, and visceral reaction. You know, it's very, it hits close to home. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I got kids, not, not much younger than the kids that were killed in, in, in Valde. And that's the kind of thing that resonates. And, you know, again, it's like what issues work, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, Carville you know, months ago was saying the Democrats need to just focus singularly on the economy and, you know, again, gas prices and milk. And it's not, you know, those are the things that seem to be sticking right now. It could. I mean, could it swing things? You know, that's up against a lot of institutional issues right now, not least of which is the, the maps, you know, kind of the institutional edge the Republicans have held in the state houses drawing these maps for years now, for over a decade. Yeah. So, Jason, one of the uh, uh, kind of analyses that I read this week, uh, picking up on what Tom said, is that this year it's not going to be Panera moms or soccer moms. It's going to be angry mobs, angry mobs. You're not protecting my kids and you're taking away the right to control my body, getting to those suburban women who made the difference, right, in 2020 for Joe Biden and could make the difference for Democrats in 2022. What do you think? I I do think that the abortion issue and whatever the Supreme Court comes out with is the the big wild card here. I mean, and, and could probably make the difference in uh, some of those Senate races more more than the House races. I think with with the House races, there's only so much you can do, uh, you know, when there are just significantly more Republicans in in some districts uh, in 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 uh, than, than Democrats. But in in these open in in seats where you know you've got a statewide race like Georgia or Arizona or Pennsylvania, and you have just such a, a stark decision which will come down, which you know this will be the first time. That the Supreme Court has, you know, has weighed in on this issue to take away a right that they established themselves. Um, it, it's, it's really, I, I don't think that we really have a clear understanding of just what sort of effect that will have uh, on people, as you said, like angry about this decision. And because this is not, I mean, this is a partisan issue in a lot of ways, but I think a lot of people take for granted uh, what, you know, the rights that they have. And when those are gone and they think about like, well, I, now I, I mean, you think you have to traverse different States and, and, you know, this could get very ugly. And, you know, when we see some of the way that that some of the States that want to restrict abortion rights have responded that, that, you know, if, if we end up with this patchwork of laws where people have an incentive to cross straight lines, to sue people and go after them, this could get, really chaotic. And that's that's a situation where you just can't predict what's going to happen in, in politics. Right. Uh, Sudeep, we know that Donald Trump has been out there endorsing candidates um, 
on the right. I, I started to say right and left, but that would not be correct. <laughs> He's been endorsing him all over uh, the country, um, and and still making the number one issue the 2020 election, the fraudulent election that was stolen from him. To what extent does that help Republicans, do you think? Is, is, is Trump an overall help or hindrance to the party looking at the midterms? To the extent that uh, everything involving Trump needs to be about Trump, uh, the reason he's involved is so people will talk about him more and focus on him more. Uh, that it, it does run the risk of reminding people um, about 2020 and their votes in 2020 and why they made the decision that they made. They were looking for uh, a lot of people were looking for less drama, less uh, less uh, um, chaos in Washington, and um, that that you just run the risk of of uh, triggering some folks who are who are moving away from that. But uh, obviously, the the Trump effect is to move people uh, f- further and further away from from. The, the reality, reality. And truth about uh, exactly about about the election and that just has a, a, a corrosive effect of creating more uh, more outlier uh, lawmakers who enter the system and create even more havoc and actually havoc is, is exactly what benefits Trump so that's that's kind yeah. of the, the very odd situation for him. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of Republicans would just as well prefer that Donald Trump just shut up and just absolutely <laughs> stay out of the way. But that's not going to happen, and we know for all the, all the reasons why. All right, so Trump, uh, Tom, rather, to <laughs> Trump, Tom, you are our uh, resident Mike Pence expert, having covered him in Indiana and written a book about him since he's been in Washington. What's up with Mike Pence? What's the latest? Uh, is he going to? He's already look. Okay, yeah, he's already yeah. running, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he hasn't declared. Nobody's declared, but they're all doing it. Um, <laughs> I will tell you yeah. that. So last week after the Georgia primaries, um, you know, there was kind of an expect. I mean, everyone kind of expected that uh, Brian Kemp would do quite well, and he did better than expectations. I think the margin was like fifty or sixty points to win. But, Fifty you know, points, right? Yeah, and, the, and but the thing that you know people latched onto was Raffensperger, the Secretary of State's race, where right. you know again Trump did the same thing. You know, recruited somebody to run against him, Representative Jody Heiss, and Raffensperger, of course, who's famous as Secretary of State. Trump tried to pressure him into quote you know finding eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes. You know, hey, if you just, hey, man, just, you know, find me those votes, buddy. Um, <laughs> you know, man, I'm sure they're tucked in a Chinese thermostat somewhere. So let's just shake them out. OK. And um, that so Raffensperger beats the Trump pick by 20 points. And right. that was really that. To, I mean, to my sources, the people I keep up with, you know, I text with that was astounding. So, you know, I got I got some notes on early Wednesday morning after the after the primary and they're like wow big night for your guy and i was mm-hmm. like wow yeah you're right because what it showed was viability um mm-hmm. there's a couple mm-hmm. dynamics for pence and i wrote a, i wrote a piece for yahoo about this last week you know his folks have behind the scenes have been talking up a possible launch in in spring of 2023 you know perhaps next april or may i mean we're not that far away from that it's only 10 10 10 yeah. months out, give or take. And they've been talking this up, you know, and again, you know, the strict caveat here is that, you know, Mike and Karen Pence, and they, they operate as a team in all things, um, have not made this decision and probably won't make the actual decision until that point, until that time. 
Um, but they feel better about this. You know, they feel they're more bullish on the chances and the prospects. And I guess the flip side of that, too, is also there's nothing stopping Pence from running. I mean, there's actually every every indication is that this is the time for him to do it. You know, there's kind of the uh, the Dan Quayle uh, uh, conundrum to consider, which is, you know, Quayle held, mm-hmm. you know, left office 92, held off running in 96, tried it in 2000, lasted, I think, like three months, maybe, because just the, the tides and, you know, the currents had shifted yeah. so much. And change. So this is the moment for Pence. And there's a real expectation that he could easily run against Trump in 24. I mean, we could we could very easily have Trump versus Pence in the in that. Uh, Well, as a reporter uh, and as a Democrat, I would have to say from your lips to God's ears. (laughs) 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 That would be so great. Oh, well, what a great roundup of the week that just was a week when Congress was out of session with still a lot going on. Uh, a big thank you to our panelists, Jason Dick and Sadiq Reddy and Tom LoBianco. And as always, we don't let you go without uh, just telling us what was the one story that stopped you in your tracks this week, made you stop and think about it, laugh or cry or whatever, your favorite story of the week. Uh, Sudeep, out of order, let's go. What do you think? You know, I'll put the laugh and the cry together. Uh, and it was part of what we've talked about a, a little bit. It was uh, it was the, the, the present in... Uh, in a rally, um, complaining about how the media never wants to talk about the size of the crowd he spoke to on January sixth, <laughs> and and you think, wait, 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 what? you mean the former president, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so you look at this, and they think, uh, you really want people to be talking about this moment? Do you really want people to be putting a, a showing what the the early stages look like before the mob hit the Capitol? But it's just it's just a one track mind, right? It's always about the crowd size, always has been, and uh, I, yeah. I couldn't avert my eyes when I saw it. It's funny that the that's the, those are the bookends for the Trump presidency, right? The In, crowd indeed. size at the indeed. inauguration. And the crowd size on the ellipse on January 6th. Exactly. <laughs> that does make you laugh and cry as well. How about it, Jason? Uh, so this really was a, a brutal week. And, and I, I recently read this story that, that made me realize, okay, like this is, this is why I continue to, to you know, read the things that I do. And it's Catherine Schultz's story about shipping containers <laughs> in, in the New Yorker. I saw that. It, it yeah. is, it's such, that. It's, it's such a great uh, story. It's one, it's very well written. She has a very long lead in about uh, Legos uh, that continue to uh, turn up on the, the uh, coast of Cornwall uh, years after a container uh, uh, containing thousands of, of uh, uh, hundreds and thousands of, of Legos shipped over, and, it, and it's, several of them are were sea oriented, maritime oriented Legos, and, and then also some dragons. And then it gets it, it's not even that long of a story uh, by by New Yorker standards, at least. Uh, but it, but she goes through how we got here in the last half century, and it's 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 a lot of fun, and it's also a little depressing uh, because it is about the supply chain and it's about how overconsumption uh, habits and so forth. But I, I just, I had a, a small connection to it because <laughs> I wanted to buy this one cookbook uh, a couple of months ago uh, by this guy, uh, by the chef in new Orleans, Ma- uh, Mason Herford, like Tur- Turkey and the wolf. And it went on into the 
Ocean uh, along with with somebody else's cookbook a few months ago. And and she cites that as an example of just the random things that fall into right. the ocean from mm-hmm. these shipping containers. It's a great story. That are floating down there somewhere along with the uh, remains of the Titanic. Uh, <laughs> Tom, what caught your attention this week? <laughs> let's let's see if I can build a transition off the off the uh, the, the Flotsam <laughs> and the Jetsam, right? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, not not a story exactly, but I, I would encourage everyone who's you know keeping tabs on the the Republican field in particular go listen to this um, this speech that Nebraska Senator Ben Sass gave at the Reagan Foundation on a Thursday night, and it was to me. At least it was astounding. It was a teardown of current politics. Um, he, it was very cogent in kind of the, the challenges, you know, whether you agree with them or not, you know, again, in the challenges facing the U.S. right now and, you know, whether the U.S. basically you know, will continue to be a superpower. And this is kind of the, the anti-isolationist, anti-MAGA, anti-populist stance. And what I was shocked by was his ability to pull together both this cogent, this high-minded argument. To me, it sounded a lot like Mitch Daniels, the former governor of Indiana, who almost ran for president in 2012. And a lot of people here in D.C. wanted him to run. Um, he had a, just this command of the, you know, the, the dynamics of play, the global dynamics of play. And he had these just visceral takedowns of people like the, the goofballs, like Matt Gates, a you know, well, you know, whatever, like MTG, yeah. you know, these these the folks who are like, and you know, he goes through why you know hashtag Twitter is not real life, and this is like you know these folks are doing this to raise money for themselves, get attention for themselves. They're all addicted huh. to this. <laughs> And that's not reality. And again, you know, I guess you tie it back to what we, you know, we were talking about throughout this is that right. this is when voters are not dialed into this stuff. They don't care about, you know, whether you make an anime death threat against some other congressman because you're pissed off about whatever. Like voters are not dialed into that. They're dialed into regular stuff. And Sass, I was, you know, the, the rip on him is that he never did any of this during Trump. You know, he's you know he sat on the fence for for a lot of it. Sometimes he would drop off, jump off it, and then he you know get back on the fence. Um, but give it a listen. I was I was astounded by it. I mean, yeah, I've never heard uh, this guy before. <laughs> uh, no, I've never um, paid that much attention to him. To tell the truth, that's something I uh, I think all of us have to check out, and we will. So uh, I have to tell you, <laughs> uh, I feel a little embarrassed by this, but I, I my favorite story of the week. I cannot get enough of the platinum jubilee going on across the <laughs> pond. Okay, I mean, you know, uh, there's just something that they're just having a good time. Uh, I mean, the entire country is having a good time. The royalist and the non-royalist. Uh, and I feel a little jealous about it, right? That they could just go out in the streets and all be waving the flags and loving uh, the monarchy, even though they may not want the monarchy to last. They certainly love the queen. Uh, all the pomp and circumstance, none of which we have, uh, which is just glorious to watch. The hats and the horses and the uniforms and all the medals. Uh, it's just a feel-good moment. Uh, as when the queen came out on the balcony uh, yesterday. And then I saw this morning that uh, one Brit uh, described this. uh, This is what was going on across the country. uh, A a series of, quote, tea dances, street parties, dog shows, and 
welly wanging. <laughs> welly wanging. That drove me to the dictionary, I'll tell you. <laughs> and I encourage you, if you're jealous of the Brits, also to check out welly wanging uh, in your dictionary. It's not as a graphic, or it's not as pornographic, maybe, as it may sound, uh, but it's a unique British tradition. Uh, God save the Queen, is all I can say. <laughs> so that moment. Uh, with that, we thank the members of our panel. Sudeep Reddy, Senior Managing Editor at Politico. Tom Lobianco, National Political Reporter for Yahoo News. And Jason Dick, Editor-in-Chief of CQ Roll Call. Thank you, guys. And thank all the rest of you for listening. The weekend, it is now all yours. Make the most of it. Uh, and then come back and see us on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>